today we have a message from the book of uh, 2 Timothy, a letter that Paul wrote. You know that there was a time uh, when Dr. Albert Einstein, the scientist, the American scientist, he had a student come up to him once and ask uh, in the middle of the class, and the student would say, uh, Dr. Einstein, do you know how many feet are in a mile? And he was testing the teacher, right? And Einstein looked at him and said, well, young man, I don't. And the student was surprised, was actually astonished. How, how come even a school child knows that they are required to, to memorize how many feet are in a mile? How come Dr. Einstein doesn't know that? And he thought the, the professor was, was joking with him. And he said, no, you must be joking with me. For sure you know how many feet are in a mile. And Albert Einstein said, I really don't. You know, I make it a rule not to clutter my mind with simple information that I can find in a book in five minutes. Today he would probably say, I don't clutter my mind with information I can Google and get in a fraction of a second. So you know, his passion was to explore the universe, the things of the universe, deep matters. He was not really concerned with trivial things. And today I want to invite you to, to go with me a little deeper. If there, if there is anything, any trivial thing that maybe is, is distracting you, maybe you're thinking about the rent you have to pay, maybe you're thinking about something you have to buy, maybe you're thinking of something else. And those things are important, but at this time I invite you to, to go with me deeper and think about the deeper things of life as we find in scripture. Shall we? I want to pray before I start. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you Lord for this privilege to be here and I ask you now that you may anoint my lips that everything that I say may be essentially and basically your message for us today. May you use me, uh, use me as your instrument May you open up our minds. May we all be open to listen to your word this morning. I ask you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You know, in today's society, when people have... When people start to build a family and they think about the future, it's recommended that early in life they write their their will and testament, the last will and testament. And it's recommended that they do that early in life while their, their faculties are at their, the best and they can precisely define how they want their, their property and their assets to be disbursed once they, they are gone. But you know in the past when we see this in the Bible, the family would gather together. They didn't have a, a a judicial system as we have today. So in that time, people would gather around the patriarch. And that patriarch would then speak to the family and bless the family and share his thoughts and his considerations about life. And you see, as you read the Bible, and you may even see literature, you see that people would not talk at that point. They would not be talking about 
how big their house was or how big their tent was or they wouldn't talk about the businesses or about their cars. They would really focus on what was important. And they would bless their children and they would bless their grandchildren and they would talk about serious issues of life. Things that were important because they knew that at any time they could be gone and whatever they would be saying at that point would be really left for eternity. And that's what we see here today in 2 Timothy. Because 2 Timothy was a letter written by Paul to Timothy, very, very likely while Paul was in prison in Rome. And not only was he in prison in Rome, Timothy was in Ephesus, and Paul knew that his execution was impending. He knew that probably this time around he wouldn't be able to be released from prison. He was going from prison to death. His sentence was right before his eyes. And he felt this urge to write to Timothy. Timothy was a good friend of his. And you see here in 2 Timothy that this is a much more impassioned letter. A very dear letter, very personal in tone. Much more than the first one. And right here we see Paul as a veteran minister. We see his death right before his eyes. Writing to a young minister who he wanted to encourage. He wanted to make sure that Timothy was grounded firmly in scripture and also in his obligations to the church and ultimately to Christ. Over time, you know that the friendship that both Paul and Timothy developed was a very strong one, was a very dear one. Paul loved Timothy, Paul respected him and Timothy as well in regards to Paul. Now Paul is thinking about this young man and he's thinking about the distance that separates them. Not only because he was in prison, but because they were in two different cities. And he considered Timothy as a dear son. And that's how he starts his letter. He says, I'm writing to you, my dear son. And Paul offers Timothy grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. But I would say that the respect that Paul had for Timothy was actually something that went beyond just the, the, the friendship that they had. It was not only out of friendship or camaraderie because they had worked together. There was something more. And I actually want to read here Second Timothy chapter 1, starting now in verse 5. Starting now in verse 5 and going from verse 5 through verse 9 so please read with me and I'm reading here off from the New King James Version and we see when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and I am persuaded is in you also therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. 
but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So we see in verse 5 here that Paul, Paul goes beyond just the friendship that he had, that they had. Paul says, I call to remembrance the genuine faith. So Paul also respected Timothy's faith. It was not only because they were friends, but it was the faith that he found in Timothy. And he links that faith to the fact that there was faith in his mother and there was faith in his grandmother. And right here I think there is a lesson for us who are parents. Many of us have accepted, some of us I would say, have accepted the gospel after we were already adults. Some of us have born in the church, have grown up in the church, and have made families with church people. And now we have our children being raised in the church. And I think right here there is a lesson for us that we have the highest responsibility of teaching our children in the ways of the Lord. So that's what Timothy's mother did. But there is something more. Timothy's father was Greek. He was not Jew. He was not a Jew just like his mother and grandmother. So even if, even if we have a family that may be people come from, come from different uh, religious persuasions, we still have this responsibility of teaching our children, teaching our grandchildren the lessons of the Lord, the lessons from the Bible. And all of that teaching instilled in Timothy a great faith. So it's not something magical. You, you need to study, you need to learn from the Lord. But as you study, as you learn, as you learn those stories and you meditate in the Bible, your faith grows. So Paul is here commanding the genuine faith that Timothy had. But you see, he's not talking about any kind of faith only. He's talking about a genuine faith. And what kind of faith is that? Well, I tell you, it's not the kind of faith you, you probably place on a new appliance or on a new car. You buy a new appliance and it's delivered to our home. And you have faith that you're going to plug it in. You're going to turn it on and it's going to work. Right? It's supposed to. But that's not the kind of faith Paul is talking about. It's not talking about the kind of faith you have in the, in the maybe if you don't have a car, in the public transportation system. That you're going to be at the bus stop at the right time and the bus will show up and you'll be able to embark on. That's not the kind of faith Paul is talking about. He's not talking about the kind of faith you place on the weather network. Even though they're very good, aren't they? I find out that they're, they're pretty good. Usually, usually you know, I, I was taught when I came to Canada that the number one sport in Canada is not, is not hockey. It is watching the forecast. That's what every Canadian does in the morning. And I understand because sometimes it may be warm in the house but very cold outside. But that's not the kind of faith Paul is talking about as well. Even though they are very scientific. But this is scientific faith. That you believe in something because there is enough proof. 
Paul is talking about the kind of faith that was found in Timothy, a genuine faith that is a, a, a kind of faith determinant of life or death. You imagine if you are faced with two options, you have life and death, and you have to choose, you definitely choose life. But if you are told that to, to have life, you need to have faith, you wouldn't waver. You would definitely have that genuine faith in Christ. Faith is like a wire that conducts a current called grace that flows right from the throne of God so that you and I can receive power that we may remain alive. That's the faith Paul is talking about. And I read in, third, in the third volume of Selected Messages, page 184, that the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus are both important. That's the three angels' messages, right? Three angels' message. They're both important, immensely important, and must be given with, with equal force and power. The first part of the message, the commandments of God, has been dwelt upon mostly, and the last part casually. The faith of Jesus is not comprehended. We must talk it, we must live it, we must pray it, and we must educate the people to bring this part of the message into their home life. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.5 So that's the faith we need to talk about. That's the faith we need to pray about. The faith that comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10.17 So here we have God's formula. If you want to grow on your faith, if you want to develop your faith, you need to hear the Word of God. You need to study the Word. And I want to say something here in all love and care. Study the Word. Spend time studying the Word. You know, there is, there is much good preaching out there. You, you just go on the internet, you go on YouTube, and you see many, many good preachers and many good sermons out there. And that's fine. But don't let anything... Don't let any sermon, don't let any preaching, don't let any preacher as powerful as they, as they can be. Don't let anything, any biblical, biblically sound, any, any solid Christian preaching or anything pull you away from your personal time with God. Just don't read about it. Just don't read commentaries about the Bible text. Read the Bible itself. They're helpful, yes. But you need to spend time in the Word. And that's how you're going to grow in your knowledge of the Lord. And you're going to have your faith grow. You know why I'm insisting, I, I'm insisting on this, that you spend time on the Bible? Because the same Holy Spirit that revealed to the Bible authors God's message, it was the same Holy Spirit who inspired them to put in writing what was revealed to them. And it is the same Holy Spirit that is willing to assist you when you open the Bible in humility and you pray for God's enlightenment, for God's light, and you read the Bible, and the same Holy Spirit is going to help you through. So spend time reading the Bible and studying it. 
But Paul goes on now in verse 6. And he says in verse 6 of 2 Timothy 1. He says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now that's an interesting expression. Stir up the gift of God. You know, if you look at the original Greek expression here, there are two things that we need to notice. One is that the verb is in a present tense situation. It's a present tense verb. So it would probably be, might be better translated if we said, keep stirring up. It's not just one thing, uh, once in a time, once in a lifetime. You keep stirring up the gift of God that is in you. And the second thing is that it could also be translated as fan into flame. Kindle it afresh. And you know, we are here, I was hearing here the, the children's story and I was thinking, I had thought of something, of saying something. It was just a, a coincidence or probably providence that Helen talked about this. I remember when I went camping for the first time in my life. I was with the church people and we were camping there and there was this bonfire. And as the fire was almost dying out, I saw some people fanning into it. And I would, I would say to, to people, don't do that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to put the fire out. And someone, some adult said to me, no, if you want to keep them alive for a little longer, if you want to keep the fire alive, if you want to keep the flame alive, if you want to keep the embers still burning a little bit, you have to fan into it. And that was a learning experience. And this is what Paul is saying here. You must fan into flame. You must stir it up. You must rekindle it. You must kindle it afresh. You must continue to do it. The gift of God that is in you. Now, this is not to say that the spirit that God places in you. The gift of the spirit that God puts in you. It is weak. Or it's dying out. And you need to, you need to kindle it. You need to fan it into flame. As if the Holy Spirit depending on you. No, the Holy Spirit will never lose its power. But the Holy Spirit can only work if you let Him, if you allow Him to. It can only work with, in cooperation with those who desire God's enablement. And you need to discipline yourself to allow the Holy Spirit to take absolute sway of your life. So you may produce fruit. So how, how do we keep fanning into the flame of the Spirit? While you sing Galatians 5.25, you have to walk in the Spirit. You have to walk continually in the Spirit. But here comes something precious in verse 7 now. In 2 Timothy 1.7. Paul has just said that you need to kindle afresh, you need to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. And he goes on to say now in verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Well, some commentators, some scholars believe that Timothy was an individual 
of a, of a quiet disposition, right? And he was usually calm and quiet and introvert. And that somehow, because he went on, on missionary trips with Paul and he went out preaching with Paul, somehow, because Paul was then uh, imprisoned, he was thrust, he was put into, into ministry, into responsibilities that he not necessarily asked for. But he was put in, in leadership role and, and he was there. And he was there standing for the truth and he was battling against false teachers. And you see that in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus. Uh, and, and the message from Paul is that, well, look up because there are false teachers. Look out, there are false teachers all around and you must stand to them. You must stand for the truth. And it's very likely then that because Timothy was a quiet man, he was battling against those false teachers, but that was something really, really straining on him. He was probably overwhelmed by those circumstances. And that's why Paul is saying, you don't have to be afraid. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. And you know, we look at this fear is a driving force in society today. And it's just unfortunate, I'll be honest with you, that even in the church, unfortunately, sometimes fear is also used as a driving force. It's used to make people feel threatened and make people believe in what you say. But that's not the spirit that God has put in us. And some of us, live in fear. We live in fear and when fear comes in, it often, sorry, it often spreads confused thinking. It often spreads irrationalities. It often spreads misunderstandings. But that's not the Spirit of God. Thoughts and speculations swirl in our minds when fear comes in. Some of us may be living in fear. Some of us may be living in fear today as a result of poor choices we have made in the past. And now we look to our future and the future looks bleak. We don't seem to have much choice in life because of poor choices in the past. Some of us may be living in fear because we're not able to provide for our children. Some of us may be living in fear of having some of our freedom taken away. Some of us may be living in fear as a result of a past sin, of something we have done in the past, maybe a month ago, or maybe a year ago, maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, 20, 50 years ago, you made something for which you have not forgiven yourself. And even today, the remembrance of that sin still comes back to torment you. And you are afraid because of that. But that's not the spirit that God is placing, is willing to place in you. And many people today think, oh Lord, is there a word for me today? Oh Lord, is there a word for me today that can bring me peace? That can remove the fear? Is there a word from God that will cast out the fear I have in me? And I can tell you today, yes, there is a word. There has always been a word. Because in the beginning was 
the word. The word has always been there. God has always had a word for you. The word of God comes today to you. I bring it to you. God has said that the spirit of fear does not come from him. You may be surrounding yourself with fears and worries that were never ever part of God's plan for you. Yes, there is a word from God to you today. God has a way out. God has always had a way out for you. And His plan includes a free offer. You don't have to pay for it. And you don't have to live in fear. God is just waiting for you to come and say, Oh Lord, I surrender myself with everything I am. With everything I have. I want to trade my fears for a spirit of power, for a spirit of love, and of a sound mind. I want to be able to think clearly. I want to be able to act rightfully. I want to be able to represent you and represent your character. I want to be able to love abundantly, just like Jesus did. You know, power, love, and a sound mind are not three different gifts. They're all a gift of the same spirit. Just like when you read in Galatians, it's the gift of the spirit. It's not the gifts. It's one gift manifested in multiple facets, manifested in many ways. Power, love, and a sound mind are but one gift in the multiple manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God. With the Holy Spirit in you, you have power. And power is the enablement that God wants to give you to do what He requires from you. And that power comes through the Holy Spirit. With God's power in you, you will be strengthened. That will strengthen your moral fiber so you can resist temptation. God's power in you will allow you, allow you to speak boldly to others. May you be an introvert. May you be timid. But God will remove that and His power will allow you to go out boldly and speak even in face of opposition. God's power in you will enable you to share God's love with others. You are never asked, you are never asked to do anything that goes beyond what God gives you strength and ability to accomplish. If God has allowed you to bring children to this world, He will allow, He will enable you to raise them. He will bless you. If God has allowed you to go through situations that may seem overwhelming to you, He will enable you to go through them. God's power in you will enable you to do what He requires and expects of you. The Holy Spirit is God's promised gift. And once the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. That's what Jesus said. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But this gift of the Spirit is not only manifested in power. It is also manifested in love. And what is love? Love is expressed first to God. 
And it's also expressed to others. Love is this distinguishing quality that enables Christians to manifest this unnatural love, this unnatural care for others. And it comes only as we allow, allow the life of God's Spirit to live through us. God's Spirit in you will provide you with power to overcome fear. But will provide you also with love to love others. To love even your enemies. God's Spirit in you will enable you with power and with love, but also with a sound mind. Have you thought about this? A sound mind. This expression here in 2 Timothy 1.7, a sound mind, is found nowhere else in the New Testament. It's unique to this passage. And it could be also translated as self-control, as self-discipline, as a clear mind, as a clear judgment. When the Holy Spirit lives in you, when you allow God to put His Spirit in you, God will grant you power, love, and a clear understanding. A sound mind. Self-discipline. Clear thinking. Sensible thinking. You'll be sensitive to other people's needs. You'll have the ability to think clearly. To think with wisdom and understanding that God only imparts. The Holy Spirit in you will enable you to think wisely, to speak wisely, to exercise self-control, to know what to say and what not to say. God's Spirit in you will give you power, love, and a sound mind. And if you keep reading, if you keep reading verses 8 and 9 in today's scripture, you see that Paul makes, wants to make sure that Timothy understand and it's made clear to us down the centuries that we have been called with a high calling and this is what I'm going to finish with 2nd Timothy 1 verses 8 and 9 and we read be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner but be you partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. It is not because of us, it is God's calling. But it's a high calling. It is the highest of callings a person could ever receive. Is the calling to be a servant of God. It is because of God's purpose. It is because of God's grace in Jesus Christ. That you and I have been called. And like I said there is no greater honor. No greater privilege to serve to be called to be in God's service. The highest of all callings. So today. Today my dear friends. God is extending to you through his word. A high calling to you and I. 
God is extending to you an invitation. And if you are here today, it is because at some point in your life, you have heard God's calling. And you came here today with all your doubts, with all your frailties, with all your certainties, with all your struggles. You came here because you heard God's calling. Life is not a bed of roses. Life is not wonderful. We have problems, we have challenges in this world. And it's going to be like this until Jesus comes. But yet, you have been called for a high calling. You have been called so that God can manifest in you His power, His love, and God can give you a sound mind. Are you willing to trade today your fears for God's power? Are you willing to trade today your fears for a spirit of love? Are you willing to trade today your fears for the ability to have a sound mind? God's calling is still going out today. God's calling you to renew your commitment to Him. I want to finish with the song of appeal. And I want you to think in the lyrics, in the message of the song. Think about these words. And may the Holy Spirit impress you today. That you may open up your heart. You may open up your minds. You have come from very different backgrounds here. Some of us are way advanced in our, in our walk with God. Some of, us, some of us are just starting. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you hold firmly to the hand of God. Hold firmly to Jesus. And let His Spirit invade you and inhabit your heart. In the heart of Jesus, there is love for you. Love most pure and tender, love most deep and true. Why should you be lonely? Why for friendships I? When the heart of Jesus has a full supply. And in the mind of Jesus, there is thought for you. Warm as summer sunshine, sweet as morning dew. Why should you be fearful? Why take anxious thought? Since the mind of Jesus cares for those He bought. In the field of Jesus there is work for you.
such as even angels might rejoice to do. Why stand idly sighing for some life work grand? While the field of Jesus seeks your reaping hand in the home of Jesus, there's a place for you. Glorious, bright, and joyous, calm and peaceful too. Why then, like a wanderer, roam with weary pace? If the home of Jesus for you a place. Father, we thank you for this message. We thank you because of the assurance that there is a place for us in the heart of Jesus. Bless each and every one of us here today. And may we leave this place with the certainty that there is power and love and a sound mind when your spirit abides in us. Bless us, I ask you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.